Good morning. My name is Kenny Luck. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I want to welcome everybody joining us on uh, Facebook Live. We've been in a very cool series called Songs from the Heart. And uh, these are messages from the book of Psalms. And uh, as I read the Psalms in my Bible, I, I tend to think that these psalmists would have been great country singers. And the reason why I think that is because they, they filter their relationship with God with the ups and the downs of life, right? And then they put them together in these songs, all right? They're formatted as songs. So I think, man, psalmists would make great country singers. And they're actual conversations with God. And they're actual prayers with God. And so when you open the Bible and you, you read a psalm, that can become a prayer like that. It's a conversation with God. And it's about the ups and the downs. And what's cool is that, you know, in a world where sometimes Christians win the battle of images, but they're losing the battles of life, not in the Psalms, man. They're in the battles of life, and they're in it with God, and they're, they're praying, and they're seeking God. And that's why I love to read uh, the Psalms. So this has been a really good series for me as I, I sit where you sit right now. But when it came to this Psalm, I wanted to, to pick a certain psalm, and it's Psalm 121. If you have your notes, you came in with the bulletin, pull the notes out. We're going to follow along in those. Uh, one reason why I picked Psalm 121 is because it's my mother-in-law's favorite psalm. And she's here today. Uh, so, hi, Mom. Uh, but the other reason I, I picked the Psalm 121 is because it's in this batch of psalms called Songs of Ascent. Can we say that together? Songs of Ascent. That's right. And so three times a year, if you were an Israelite, you would have to take a journey. And you would have to take that journey uh, to Jerusalem. And it was not, shall we say, an easy journey. I'm going to throw a map on the screen, and I want to show you why it's called the Songs of Ascent. See where it says Jericho right there? The person who wrote the psalm we're going to look at today, they had to start there. And then see the, the crinkly beef jerky part? Okay, that's all mountains. Okay, so this starts at 1,200 feet below sea level. Jerusalem is perched on a hill 2,400 feet above sea level. So I'm not like a super mathematician, but I think that's 3,600 feet of elevation. Now, if any of you have ever been on any kind of hike where you had to get some elevation, man, you're huffing and puffing. But just think day on a trail, and now you have an idea. And along the way, they, you know, they didn't have 99 bottles of beer on the wall, so they created the songs of ascent, all right? So you would start with one, and then you'd move to the next one, and you'd move to the next one, and they would sing these songs as they were on their pilgrimage, and that's why it's also called the Pilgrim Songs, from Jericho to Jerusalem. And so today we're gonna look at Psalm 121, and these are the words of a man. It's on the front side of the journey, and he's contemplating the place, listen, to where his truest identity is calling him. He's a follower of the one true God, the God of Israel. That's his identity. And God calls him to this place where his truest identity says, I need to be as a worshiper. And if you don't get anything out of this message, get this. When you are in God, whether you're a creation of God, made by him, for him, and you're going to him, or you're a child of God, God will call you to a destination. In fact, God has a habit in the Bible of moving people who are in him to a destination, right? To experience his purpose and his power and his plan and his glory. So if you're listening to me this morning, like I said, you're either a child of God or you're a creation of God. And that, that gives us meaning as we look inside of this because that identity is calling for you to make a journey into God's purposes towards some new destinations of spiritual growth and commitment. So when we look at this word from God this morning, it's a personal word for you, it's a word for us as a collective, for our adventure into these wonderful unknowns ahead in our faith. And so God is calling us forward, and what we're going to do now is we're going to look at some normal fears that, that this, this pilgrim, he's just standing in the valley of Jericho, 1,200 feet below sea level, and he's going, wow, that's far, and it's high, and I don't even know if I'm going to get from here to there, all right? We're going to look at those normal fears, and then we're going to look at some promises, that God makes to him 
as he works out, am I going to go to the place where my truest identity calls me? And am I going to overcome the fears of stepping into this journey into the unknown, this adventure into the unknown? And then we're going to make some application here. So let's, let's get in the psalmist's shoes in the valley of Jericho, and let's read Psalm 121. He says this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. So that's a big ask for someone who is at 1,200 feet below sea level. Because your truest identity is in me, I want you to come and worship. And I want you to come and worship at Passover. I want you to come and worship at the Feast of Pentecost. And I, I want you to come and worship at the Feast of Tabernacles. And I'm going to call you into this, this, this journey that has a lot of unknowns. And it's going to stoke some of your fears. But as I call you forward and as some of your, your fears uh, go from embers into little fires that might prevent you from experiencing my power and purpose at my destination, I'm going to make some promises to you on the way. And so God is saying in this psalm, number one, and you might want to write this down, do not fear the magnitude of God's ask. Do not fear the magnitude of God's ask. You know, for, for, for some of us, the magnitude of crossing the line and saying, I'm going to surrender control of my life, and I'm going to go from self-sufficiency to God dependency through a relationship with Christ, man, that's a big ask. And maybe some of you are in that space right now where you're considering that. Or when you're a Christian, the Bible says we start off kind of as an infant and as a baby, and then we drink milk, and then we get more solid food. And I don't know if you agree with me, but on my journey with the Lord, God's asks keep getting bigger and bigger and requiring more and more faith from me. You know, I'm not, I'm not where I was 37 years ago in the Lord, but I'm definitely not where I'm going to be. And my truest identity keeps calling me to these destinations that God has for me. And when I contemplate in the valley of Jericho, wow, you want me to do that? And God's like, yeah, but don't fear the magnitude of my ask. Look at what he says. It's on your notes. He says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Everybody say, to the mountains. To the mountains. Right. In the Bible, what you need to know, when you see this, this image, this picture of hills or mountains, all right, they, they represent the, the problem, not the solution. My eyes look up to the mountains. Oh, man, that's, that's, the, that's the problem here. I'm in the valley of Jericho, 1,200 feet below sea level. I'm looking up at that challenge, and those mountains can stop me from getting to the place where my truest identity is calling me. And, and so mountains and hills in the Bible, they, they challenge your confidence going forward. In fact, they might even sabotage your journey even getting started. You just contemplate it. You just go, mm, no. That's too much. I can't go there. And you get off God's adventure into the unknown by just a fear of the obstacle, okay? And so mountains and hills, it's like when Jesus said uh, in the New Testament, truly I tell you that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can say to this what? Mountain, move from here to here. And it will move. Nothing is impossible for you. And so Jesus is saying, okay, I'm with you, I know there's challenges, there's mountains, but if you have faith in me and if you trust me, don't let the magnitude of what's in front of you stop you from moving into the spaces I'm, I'm calling you. So don't fear the magnitude of God's ask, because then he goes on and he says, where does my help come from? And this internal conversation starts to happen in the heart of the true worshiper and the true believer. He goes, yeah, that's big, that's a, that's a big thing, but then, it, then all of a sudden there's a pivot and says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And into the mountain, he declares his faith. And he says, my help 
comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. I know that there are people here right now, and you are looking at what's next in your life, and you're facing mountains you don't know how you're going to overcome. And we can take a play right out of God's word from the valley of Jericho, 1,200 feet below sea level. And we can declare our faith right now. We can say together, my help comes from the Lord. In fact, why don't we declare our faith right now and say that? Say, my help comes from the Lord. Why don't we say even more? Let's take it a step further and let's declare our faith and speak into that hill or mountain which looks so insurmountable and say, the maker of heaven and earth. Ready? The maker of heaven and earth. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The mountain is defeated by the maker. Do not let or fear the magnitude of the ask. Write this down because God says, I'm bigger. He's bigger in every dimension. He's bigger physically. He's bigger in that he has enough to provide for you along the journey that he's called you to walk out. Is it going to be arduous? Is the path going to get narrow? Are there going to be some unknowns in the future? Yes, but God is bigger than whatever your fear is. He's bigger than whatever hill or mountain you're facing this morning. And that's a word God wants to take into your chest, into your heart right now. Some of you have had loss. Deep, devastating loss. And God wants to tell you, I'm your helper. I'm the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And if I called you into this journey, I am bigger than whatever you fear right now. Some of you have have kids that have wandered from the Lord. And you're wondering, God, what did I do wrong? What's going on? And God's saying, I'm your helper. I'm the Lord. I'm the maker of heaven and earth. Stay on the journey. Stay on the path. Why? Because I'm bigger. You know, God in our relationship with him, always, it seems to be in the habit, when you read the Old and the New Testament, seems to put us into these places, and we find ourselves in these places where we have to trust moving forward. Everybody say moving forward. Moving forward. That's right. You know, God God is always moving us forward in faith. He's moving us forward in our relationships. He's moving us forward into our destiny. He's moving us forward in Christ-likeness. God's moving us forward, and he's in the habit of doing this. And in the Old Testament, the big metaphor is God moving his people out of bondage in Egypt and into the promised land. And so Moses sends a scout team, and they see everything where God, that destination where their truest identity is calling them. And we pick up the story in Numbers 13. It says this, they gave Moses this account Okay, we went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. But the people who live there, powerful. Their cities are fortified and very what? Large. We saw the Nephilim there. They looked like Shaquille O'Neal. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. All right, there's one perspective. God says, in your truest identity is my people. I'm calling you to this destination. And by the way, I gave you a promise back there that if you showed up, if you just engage, I was going to give you victory in that. So they, they have a promise. They're called to a destination. And then one group of people come in and they just go, man, they get their eyes off of this and they get it onto this. Can anybody relate to that one? Have you ever gotten your eyes off of him and how his calling and, his lar- and how big he is and capable and loving? And then you kind of get it on your circumstances And then all of a sudden it gets so in your system, the fear gets in your system and it's paralyzing. And all of a sudden you become not a faithful believer, but a cynical and doubtful, almost like unbeliever, atheist, where you're just like, nope, I'm not doing that. He can't do that. But that's the battle. So that's one perspective. Now, there's another perspective. The verse goes on. Joshua and Caleb, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their robes like Can Newton and said to the entire Israelite assembly, don't be afraid of the people of this land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Now, rousing speech, right? Pretty inspiring. What was the response? But the whole assembly said, let's kill them. You know, when you're living in fear, you don't like voices of truth. 
When you're living in fear and you've, you've listened to the narrative and you play and repeat and you've convinced yourself that God is not big enough to do what he promised, you don't like people saying, oh, yes, he is. He's big enough to do what he's asked us to do. And so they don't like those voices. Now, let's bring in a third voice, and it's God's voice. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. So the fear people and the faith people, God brings them all together. The Lord said to Moses, listen to God's heart. How long will these people treat me with what? Contempt. You say, what does that mean? How long will they refuse to believe in me? There's a definition of contempt. In spite of the signs I have performed among them. So there's the the second half of the definition of contempt. They refuse to believe even though I have done these mighty miracles for them. And they get to this place and I say, you know what? Here's a promise. You show up. You have victory. You're going to be blessed. There's a destination that your identity calls you to. And then they treat God with contempt. They refused to believe the same God who delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh and who sent the plagues and who parted the sea and did all of these amazing things, right? They refused to believe in that God. And so then there's there's God's heart. God asks, God directs them, and then they take their eyes off of God who's so big and so loving and so wise and has proven himself. They take their eyes off of that person and then they get it on to people. And then they start feeling small, and then the fear creeps in. And guess what? These people are sabotaging their own blessing by not getting to the destination that God has appointed for those whose identity is in Him. They let the problem become bigger than God. Have you ever done that before? You ever done that? You let the problem become bigger than God. And God wants to say to us, man, don't don't treat me like they treated me. Let me be me, and I know that it might not be your way, your time, on you know, in the fashion that you wanted it, but you're on my journey. I think that's the real tension. We have expectations, we have a plan, and then, you know, that plan doesn't work out the way. And then in in our plan, we're upset at God because he didn't deliver our plan. But then there's God's plan. And in God's plan, there's still ups and downs, but he's with you at least in this plan. And he's going to show you his power and his presence in his plan. And we got to shift from this one over to that one. So that's the first fear. God says, don't, don't fear the magnitude of the ask because I'm bigger. The second fear that he addresses is don't fear the misfortunes along the journey. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, he will not let your foot slip. Circle that. He who watches over Israel will not slumber. Circle, not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Okay, so the pilgrim in the valley of Jericho, 1,200 feet below sea level, he's looking up. He's like, oh, man, my eyes look to the hills. And then he has this internal conversation. He says, all right, I need help. I can't do this on my own power. I got help. The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And then he goes, then he's thinking to himself, all right, once I get started, what if I don't make it? What if I slip? You see, three things can happen when you slip, okay? It can be a momentary setback. It can be uh, an injury, right? Or you can fall to your death. I brought another picture uh, from the journey. Um, That's the Jericho Road right there. You know, it doesn't look like much of a road. It looks like a single-track hiking trail, But that's the road that's been the road since the time of this psalmist writing that book. See that thing over to the right, the deep hole? That's called a wadi, right? And in the wadi, you could slip off the trail and you could slip into the wadi and then it's over, right? So I'm the pilgrim, like, okay, I went last year to the feast of Passover, I slipped. What if this time I slip and I don't catch myself? Or what what happens if I, I slip it, you know, man, I saw that deep wadi, And so the pilgrim is having this conversation and sabotaging the journey before it even gets started. And then all of a sudden, God steps in and he starts addressing the issue. Hey, I'm I'm not going to let your foot slip. I'm going to watch over you. And that's what a lot of believers do. 
I've done it in my life, where you start the journey with Jesus. Maybe you start it in your family. Maybe that's your identity. Then some unplanned things happen, earth and the, the injustices and gravities of a broken planet and broken bodies and a broken earth, they, they impose themselves in your life. You start the journey, and, and it's a slip. You're like, man, I don't believe that's God. If that's God, I don't want to have any part of it. And then you just kind of take yourself out of the game. Or maybe you blow it. You're like, oh, man, you came into this faith with a, with, with a lot of energy, and you were saved, from your sin, and you started this journey with God, but then you slipped. And then you convert your slip into a sentence of like, I'm permanently on the injured reserve. Yeah, I'm on the team, but I'm not, I'm not a primetime player. I'm not playing again. And then the voices kick in, and it's like, what's the use? I've tried that before. Might as well give up. All right? You know what God wants? Whatever bucket you're in on the journey, if you started the journey with God, Here's what God wants you to hear. A slip is not a sentence. It's a slip. Anybody slipped in here? Can we have a cup of honesty? We've all slipped. But a slip is not a sentence. It's not something that keeps you out of the game. That's why in the Bible you don't talk about confession if people don't slip. People slip. They ask for God's forgiveness. They ask for forgiveness from the people that they've offended. They get back on the path, and they start headed toward the destiny and destination that God has for them in their truest identity. Amen? So if you're a slipper, welcome to the club. All right? Slipping is not a sentence. Everybody slips, and it's your job to just get back on the trail. The only person sabotaging the power and purpose of God in your life is you. It's not God. God has power and purpose and a destiny and abundance and new joys and new adventures in this wonderful unknown that he's calling you to, but you got to get back on the path. You know what? I know right now that the God, God is saying to certain individuals in this room, get back on the path, and you know who you are. You're off the path. You've allowed the gravities of earth, the losses of your life, and the traumas in your life to take you off the path. And you kind of believe the lie that, you know, I've slipped, I've slipped away, and then you become cynical and doubtful. And God's saying, nope, a slip isn't a sentence. That's a lie. I want you back on the path. I have a destiny for you that I want you to walk into, but you're going to have to get back on the path today. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that later on. So we don't have to, you know, stay off the path we don't have to fear the misfortunes on the journey. Write this down. Because I am with you, God says. Write that down. I don't have to fear misfortunes on the journey because I'm with you. Okay? When, when, if you slip, he'll catch you. If, you. if you slip, you're not gonna fall all the way down. And a slip is not a sentence. It just means there is a slip along the way. Get back on the path. You know, Jesus would put his followers into situations where he knew ahead of time what he was going to do, but he wanted to see how they would respond in the presence. One of them is in Mark 4, where he's standing on the shore. Just imagine that, you know, there's a bunch of boats and there's water lapping up on, onto the shore where you are, and you're all on the shore. And, uh, and when the evening comes, Jesus says this to everybody on the shore. Hey, let's go to the other side. And then some people get in the boats, some people stay on the safety of the shore, and we pick up the story, leaving the crowd behind, it's right in your notes, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? And he got up. And he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. So let's go back to the beginning of this little vignette. And you have people standing on the shore, and Jesus says, let's go to the other side. He doesn't say, 
hey, let's go to the other side. And, and when you decide to get in the boat, we're going to be in the middle of this huge storm. There's going to be 10-foot breakers. And then you're going to watch me take authority over nature. You're not even going to believe it. It's going to be like, whoa. You're going to love it. And then when we get to the other side, I'm going to deliver this kid from a demonic spirit. And you're going to see me defeat evil in the flesh. All right? You're going to see me take two little barley loaves and some fish. You're going to watch me feed 5,000 people with a sack lunch. It's going to be awesome. He didn't say any of that. He just says, let us go to the other side. And it's your decision whether or not you're going to get in the boat. Do you know how wise God is? He wants you to trust him. And you know, those poor people who stayed on the shores of safety, those poor people who didn't have any stories to tell because Jesus requested in their identity as followers, come with me, come in this direction, just come with me, do you trust me? And he didn't tell them, how they were going to be challenged and how he was going to be with them and how he was going to speak into their storm and what he was going to do. And the people who stayed on the safety of the shore, they missed the adventure into the wonderful unknown. They don't even know what happened to the people who got in the boat, but man, they wish they had that ticket. And then there's the people who got in the boat, okay? We call them the boat people. And the boat people are like, dang, this is amazing. I thought I was going to die. And then this guy stood up and he said, be quiet. And the, the waves went down. Oh my gosh. And then we hit the shore and then we watched him defeat Satan and evil and demons. And then we watched him take a sack lunch and he fed all these people. And man, now they got a story to tell. But the only reason they got a story to tell, the only reason why is because they got in the... Some of you here this morning, you're content on the shores of safety. And Jesus is saying to you right now, let's go to the other side. You're going to need to trust me. Your identity is in me. You're a follower in me. Yeah, can the waves hit the boat? Sure they can. But I, the wind and the waves, still know my name. And they can know my name in your life. So whatever you're, you're facing, I can speak into. Whatever evil is oppressing you, I can rebuke it just by a word from my mouth. Whatever you lack, I can supply, but you got to get in the boat. You got to get in the boat. So when we fear misfortune, God says, I'm with you. The third fear of the psalmist is, is that he fears exposure to new environments. And as he's talking it out, the Bible says through Psalm 121, do not fear the exposure to some new environments. All right? The Jericho Road places the pilgrim in a position of vulnerability. Who likes to be put in a place of vulnerability? No hands. And if you do, I don't know. But you're alone. You have days that you're hiking. You have, you have sun. You have night. You have terror. You have unknowns out there. And the psalmist is working it out, and he's trying to, he's like praying, and he's reminding himself of who God is. Okay, God's bigger, all right? God's with me. And then when I get into the journey, and I'm on my way because I'm a true worshiper, that's my true identity, and I'm going to this destination that God's calling me to in him, and I don't know everything that's going to happen along the way. He says this, the Lord, verses 5 and 6, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade, at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. Don't fear the exposure to these new environments the adventure will take you on, the wonderful unknown. Write this down, because I will provide for you in that journey. Some of you are in a part of the journey like this guy is. You're in the sun. It's oppressive. There's heat. Your circumstances are oppressing you, just like a hot sun in the middle of a long walk. There's no relief. And God wants to tell you this morning, the Lord is your shade. But you know, you gotta accept the shade the Lord provides. You gotta accept the promises of the Bible. You gotta accept the community of God. You gotta accept the call of God. You have to accept his ways and learn his ways. And God can provide you shade, right, in your oppressive, sun-filled desert. But some of you are in the heat of circumstances. God wants to provide shade. The question is, do you want to receive it? And then there's others of you, it's more like the moon by night. You're haunted 
You're haunted by the darkness in your life, the losses in your life, the memories of being hurt, the fears, and you don't know what's going to come out of the darkness and sabotage you. Oh, I got hurt here, and I lost that person, and, and this didn't work out for me, and, and you're letting all these haunting memories come and sabotage your journey. And the psalmist says, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand, and the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. I will provide for you. One of the greatest verses a Christian can speak is Philippians 4.19. And it says this, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. You see, when it comes to God's journey, the one He's calling us into in our truest identity, God has everything that we need for that journey in him. In fact, he says that his resources, and you can write this down, his resources from his riches are going to be delivered to you for his glory. And I think that's the rub. A lot of times we want our, our journey and our path to work out the way we planned it. Then stuff happens. And God promises us that we're still on his path and that he's going to provide his resources from his riches for his glory, but we've, we've let the fear of exposure get to us. We're like, no, God can't provide for me anymore. God is infinite and God is loving. There's enough love in God for you right now. God is infinite and God is merciful. There is enough mercy for you in your journey. God is infinite and God heals. He has the capacity to heal you in whatever it is that has you in bondage and, and, and paralyzed emotionally. God is our supply. Can we declare that together? God is our supply. Yeah, the Old Testament name is Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. And some of you are finishing the song in your hand. His grace is sufficient for me. God is Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. His resources are available from His riches for His glory. On your journey, God will supply what you lack. Some of you are lacking courage today in your faith. You're afraid to take that next step into community. You've, you've got a narrative in your head like, yeah, I see Jordan up there and he's got so much energy and the, the small group looks so great on the film. They're probably all actors. They're not. And they, they, you know, everybody's together and they're holding hands and it looks so great. But you know, I don't need that. Sorry, you can't find God's purpose outside of God's community. It is a biblical impossibility. You can think you can, but God created a new community of believers so that you could have a relationship with Him and experience all of His purposes in community. Some of you lack peace. God has enough peace for you. Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. Did you catch that? do I give to you? You're looking for peace in all the wrong places. Okay, there's a country song. <laughs> but you are. You're sitting here and you're like, man, I've tried. I'm doing everything I can to try to find my peace in stuff, find my peace in pleasure, find my peace in fun, find my peace in control. I'm arranging my chessboard so that everything can be predictable. And God's over here on the side just going, have fun with that because you're not going to get what you're looking for. Some of you lack connection. You're lonely. God wants to tell you something. He hates loneliness. Whether you're a married couple, he hates loneliness. Whether you're an individual gal, he hates loneliness. You're a man, you're <coughs> he hates it. He hates loneliness. That's why he sent Jesus. So that you wouldn't have to be lonely anymore and you could be a part of his family and then have a, an extra big family. Now, on this whole issue of God will provide, uh, I love the story of the loaves and the fish. Because you got two grown men and a little boy, and the two grown men kind of fail the exam, and the, the little boy gets an A+, plus, gold star, gold star, gold star. Uh, I'm going to read John 6 right now. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where are we going to buy bread, dude, for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have even a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Hey, here's a boy. 
with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far can it go? Really, among so many. Let's finish this passage together. Jesus said, have the people sit down. Isn't this fascinating? You've got Philip, and he's cynical. He's doing the math. Okay? You've got Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, and, and he's doubtful. He's just like, yeah, we got something, but we don't got nearly enough. Jesus is standing right there. Jesus is standing right there. Just like the whole boat scenario played out again, but this time there's a physical need. Jesus is standing right there. And so Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to ask a question, see how they respond. See if they got a little faith in the house. I'm going to be right there with them. And then they're going practical. They're going cynical. They're going doubtful. But then there's this little kid. And he comes and just like, I got this. And then Jesus goes, great. Have him sit down. The grown-ups, the ones who've been walking to Jesus with, with, with him for years, they're like cynical and doubtful. Then this little boy with a sack lunch, he's faithful. Can you say this with me? God takes my little and he makes a lot. I don't know if you guys like watched uh, were American Idol junkies like in the early years, but one, one, one season they had this like American Idol goes to Africa and they were buying like malaria nets and they were having people sing and then they're raising money and my family's on the sectional and we're all watching and then I look over to my sensitive one, there's Jenna and of course she's like all oh, tears, she's watching the humanitarian crisis and she's like, six or seven, and then all of a sudden she like bounces off the sectional and like she disappears. I see her go down the hall and she comes walking back up with her piggy bank. And she brings it to me, the person who didn't get up or make any motion toward the checkbook. <laughs> you know. And she says, Dad, I said, what, Jenna? I want to help. You know what that $4.72 got turned into? $150 on dad's American Express card. <laughs> All right? God takes our little, and he makes a lot. And you may not have a lot to give right now to God, but you can give him maybe the loaf and fish of your presence. Maybe you can give him the loaf and fish of, of hosting a group. You see what happens. You can give him the loaf and fish of participating in our small group campaign. Because in your truest identity as a follower... New environments and new seasons and new situations, God has what you need. He will provide for you. You just got to give Jesus your loaf and fish in his hand, and he will multiply it. He will multiply your obedience and faith. The psalmist talks about a last fear, and it's the fear of enemies that seek to thwart he says this in verses 7 and 8 to close out the psalm. He's just kind of a catch-all. He says, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over you. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Now, this, this trail, I have a pic. I just want to show you a pic. Yeah, Lord knows what's coming out of those caves. All right? We don't know what, but there's the... the enemy of the terrain itself, this road is the same road where Jesus is talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan, and you know what happened to the Good Samaritan along the way, right? He got robbed, and he was beaten up, and so pilgrims know that this road, there's stuff going down. It's not always the safest place to be, but I find it ironic that as, as God asks his people to go on this journey to the place where their truest identity calls them to worship the Lord with their lives. And he calls them to, onto this, this, this journey. The words watch over happen five times in this, in, this, in this psalm. And God says, you don't have to fear the enemies that seek to thwart you in your journey, whether they're circumstantial, emotional, spiritual forces, evil. You don't have... I'm going to watch over you because I will protect you. Write that down. Do not fear the enemies that seek to thwart because I will protect you. Now, everybody look up here just for a second. There's a difference between looking at you and looking out for you, right? Anybody that has babysat or has a baby or has kids or has held the hand of a toddler who's like, 
three and they have no plan, but they think they know where they're going and they're trying to run away from you, right? And they resent you for always grabbing their hand. But as the parent, you're like, oh, can't go that way. Nope, up here. Nope, put on the brakes. It's like your automatic like stop mechanism kicks in and you're not going to allow your child. Because they're looking out for you, right? They're keeping you safe. They're not looking at you to say, hey, don't do that. Or they actually are looking out for you and they're intervening. That's what God is saying here. The Lord will keep you from all harm in his plan. Why? Because he's with you. It doesn't mean that there aren't ups and downs. It just means that he's with you. And if you trust him, he's going to use the things and the events that have entered your life. And he's going to redeem them for his purposes. Because only he can redeem the worst losses. And if you don't believe that, then you haven't looked at the man on the cross. He redeemed that. And everybody was just like, no way he can redeem that. He did. He redeemed the worst torture and execution of a human being ever endured so that we could go to heaven and have our sins forgiven and have a home in heaven. Do you think that God can redeem your situation right now? I think so. Because he can do that. He's going to protect you. He's going to look out for you. Israel, God would give him a promise, say, hey, I'll protect you. In the book of Deuteronomy, as they're, they're getting close to getting into the promised land, he says, when you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, all right, there's some hills and mountains, don't be afraid, because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Okay, this is my thing. I'm the one who delivered you. I'm the one who saved you. I'm with you. And then he says, when you're about to go into battle, the priest shall come forward and address the army. He shall say... Hear, O Israel, today you are going into battle against your enemies. Do not be faint-hearted or afraid. Don't panic or be terrified them. Let's finish it together. Ready? For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you... God is with me. God will fight for me. God will secure the victory. You know, some of you need to hear that today. God is with you. God will fight for you. God will secure the victory. It may, it may not look the way you originally envisioned it, but it'll be his victory. Everybody say his victory. His victory. That's right. I know so many situations as a pastor being in ministry for over 30 years, situations look very bleak, and then people gave themselves over to the Lord, and they experienced his victory. And it was beautiful, and it was marvelous. Out of the depths of pain, right, and the depths of pressure comes the pearl of God's victory. And some of you needed to hear that right now because you can't see it right now. But God wants you to know he's with you. He will fight for you if you get back on the path. And he will give you victory. He's calling you to live out your destiny in him. I like it when Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 10, 19. He says, hey, guess what? I'm going to give you victory. Let's read Luke 10, 19 together. Ready? I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy Nothing will harm you. You know, did they harm Jesus physically at the cross? Yes or no? Yes, they did. Did they win the victory? No, they didn't. And Jesus said ahead of time, he said, I lay down my life on my own authority. Nobody takes it from me. Nobody's doing this to me. I lay down my life on my own authority. When a Christian who in their truest identity is going to the place of God's destination, they experience some ups and downs, they're choosing that. And they're choosing to allow God to work in that, and they're doing it in the authority and power. Their circumstances have no power over their truest identity. And it's not, it's not going to stop their, their truest destiny. How do I know this? I've had two brothers commit suicide. Man, I'll tell you, didn't feel a lot of purpose in that. But you know what? God redeemed that. God has used it in my life. And he's winning the true victory. I call myself the the suicide pastor. It's a weird title. But you know what? I can comfort families in a way that nobody else can who've suffered this tremendous loss. God redeems the pain. Can we say that together? God redeems the pain. I don't know what you're going through, but God can redeem it. You can have authority now out of that tremendous loss. Now I can walk into those situations, and it's an awful situation, and I have the authority 
of Jesus with me. And I have his spirit on me. And I can say things and do things that minister hope and healing to families that are in a, just a terrible, terrible place. God gives us the victory. Now, why are we looking at this psalm right now? I believe it's providence. I believe the journey ahead for us who are in relationship together as Christians and as a cross-line family and as new people are joining our cross-line family, here's why. Because God has called us to a destination of community and caring and outreach like never before. We're going to do the church. And on your notes, the last passage of Scripture is from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. This is where we're headed, cross-line. They joined with other believers in regular attendance at the apostles' teaching sessions and at the communion services and prayer meetings. What happened? A deep sense of awe was on them all, and the apostles did many miracles, and all the believers met together constantly. They shared everything with each other, selling their possessions, dividing with those in need. They worshiped together regularly at the temple each day. They met in small groups and homes for communion and shared their meals with great joy and thankfulness, praising God. The whole city was favorable to them. Let's finish it together. Ready? And each day God added to them all who were being saved. The journey that you are joining right now as you sit in this this worship center and with this family of believers is a journey into, write this down, a deeper sense of community and connecting. Can't get close to you here. And there are some of you that have kind of believed the lie of, you know, I can come to church on Sundays but I can, and, and, and be close there, but I don't have to get closer in any other setting. Impossible. You can't get close to anybody in a massive group. That's why we're doing this community groups campaign. So God's calling you into connection and community Secondly, the journey is into a deeper sense of caring. When our executive team went away, the Lord impressed upon us the need for caring and loving one another. That this church is going to be the standard. When someone walks onto this campus that they feel loved, that they feel connected, that they feel cared for. Because you know what? If you come into a, a, a group of people and you don't, you don't sense that they care about you, all the programming and strategy, that doesn't matter if people don't feel loved. Amen? That's all of our responsibility. So we're going to get into, we're in this journey that God's calling into us, into community and into a deeper sense of caring. And then third, into a deeper sense of commission. When people got connected into real, authentic, biblical community, they started loving and caring for one another. The world was watching them get into community and love and care for one another. And then all of a sudden, that was a witness of God's power and God's love. And the community watching just went, man, I want some of that. This church is going to be a magnet for people, not because we have a nice place to be and not because we have uh, the most awesome uh, teachers, not because we have, you know, all these programs or kids camps. They're going to be attracted to this place because they feel and sense and experience the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what this church is all about. That's what Pastor JP is committed to. He shared it with us in staff meeting just this last week, and we all stacked hands. We're going into a deeper sense of community, a deeper sense of caring and loving for one another, and a deeper sense of commission, outreach. I'm a dad. I had three kids. My number one desire for them was that they know and love Jesus. I would not rest until I got past that moment when it was just like, okay, Kara knows Jesus. She really knows Jesus for herself. Ryan knows Jesus. I'm glad she know, he knows Jesus for himself. Jenna knows Jesus. A loving father wants every one of his children to know Jesus. I think there are a few people that you're connected to who don't know Jesus. Do we share the heart of the father? I think there's enough people around us here at the Spectrum and Irvine and Aliso and Ladera and Cotto and Dove and Tribuco Canyon and Rancho Santa Margarita and Tustin and Lake Forest, Foothill Ranch, who don't know Jesus. Do you know what the heart of God is for every one of those people who don't know him? He desperately, desperately wants them to be a part of his family. And that's on us. And so we're going into this season where all of these calls require a deeper commitment on our part 
to go to that destination which our truest identity is, it calls us to. And so I want to give you a chance to step into that. Maybe you're a creation of God. That's automatic. You're made by him, for him. But now you need to move from being a creation of God to being a child of God. Some of you are children of God. But God is calling you forward into the wonderful unknown. He's asked you to trust him and come and worship this season in a new way. And he's not going to give you all the details. But he's wondering if he'll say yes. And so I want to give you some space right now to have a conversation with God. And the first group of people that I want to have a conversation with right now before God, right now, are those of you who you say, yeah, I believe that. I believe God made me. I'm a creation of God, but I have, to, I have yet to say yes to being a child of God, to being a part of God's family. And if that's you this morning and you're seeking and you're ready to defeat fear in your life and come into the family of God, you only have to do two things. You have to say yes to the person of Jesus and say yes to the work of Jesus for you. So if that's you and you're ready, just say, Jesus, I'm ready today. I'm ready to go from being someone you created to a child of God. I recognize that I'm imperfect. I recognize that I have flaws. I recognize that I make mistakes. And Jesus, today, I am, I am receiving your forgiveness for my failures. I'm receiving you as my savior and my Lord, my God. I wanna be on the journey with you. From this moment on, Jesus, I give you my life. I wanna know you, I wanna know your ways. Thank you for taking away the fear and replacing it with yourself today. Thank you that I'm a child of God. And then there's some of you who you're ready. God's been prompting you, God's been poking you. And he's been waiting for you to say yes to the next place, the next destination. But you've let fear keep you from that. And today you're, you're saying yes too. Say, God, I wanna, I wanna adventure with you and I'm willing to go into the unknown. I'm willing to go to the other side with you. I'm willing to get in the boat today and take that next step with you. Some of you need to make, take a next step and get connected in community through this group's campaign. Say yes to Jesus right now. Jesus, I'm, I'm ready to say yes to community. Some of you are not serving. It's hard to care for someone when you're not serving and God's calling you into some deeper service and you're, you're ready to say yes. Serve as a host. Serve in ministry. Serve the people of Crossline. Serve your community. Lord, we thank you that we can say yes to you today. Afresh. Invite you in let you change us and let you take us by the hand and take us into this journey that you have for us in the days and weeks to come, God. We thank you in advance for the blessing and purpose and power that we are about to receive as individuals and as a church family. In Jesus' name, we thank you. And God's people said, amen.